Welcome to the Judge John Hodgman Podcast. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. This week, we're in chambers clearing the docket. How are you, Judge Hodgman? I don't know if I can match your high energy, bailiff Jesse. (laughs) What's wrong? Are you feeling phlegmy? Phlegmatic, perhaps? 100% always, as as those of you who listen to the non-cough button version of the show know. I'm I'm constantly hitting mute so I can cough up phlegm. Just a little behind-the-scenes humanizing detail of the Judge John Hodgman podcast. And for some reason, we actually have a, a separate feed where all the uh, all the coughs are maintained in the cut. A very small group of <laughs> very small group of mucus enthusiasts really like that's, it. That's the ultimate freemium offering. Well, do you know it's like those people who 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 go on the internet to find YouTubes of people whispering to them so that they can make their scalp tingle. Are you familiar with that? No, this is a thing. Keep- oh yeah, whispering. Yeah, and they're folding towels. Well, wait a minute. I think it's related to misophonia, which is the uh, uh, reaction of irritation to certain noises, often like uh, repetitive chewing noises. That's why I hate the sound of people uh, chewing food. But there is another reaction that people claim they have to certain kind of hissing uh, palms rubbing together noises that give them a pleasurable tingling sensation. And then they're there are websites and YouTube channels that are devoted to people just going like this all the time. And, and people listen to it and they, and they just get a tingling sensation in their scalp. And if, if you're feeling that now, and if you judge John Hodgman listeners, then you, then you know you have this interesting disorder. Also, Judge Hodgman, I'm getting a tingling sensation, but it's not in my scalp. Mm-hmm. Well, let me counteract that this way. <coughs> all right. <laughs> The point is, I know, I know this thing. My friend Matt Belknap from uh, the Smash Hit podcast, Never Not Funny. Is it uh, he has this thing? Is it Belknap or Belknap? I've never known for sure. Belknap. Okay, yeah, Belknap. He has it. Yeah, he has it, and he loves it. It's amazing. He just when this became a famous thing. Yes, you know, a couple, year or two ago, a couple of years ago. I'm always a couple of years behind the times. He went on to the subreddit for whatever, and and just clicked on one of the videos. And like he said, absolutely clearly, super powerfully got tingles up and down his head like uh, as though he was having some kind of cranial orgasm. And he said it was wonderful. And he had never he had had some things like that happen to him before, but he had never been able to like pinpoint what was going on. But it was vibrant, clear and real. And he's you know, he's not a uh, he's not a fuzzy headed man. No, Belknap is a sharp headed fella. That's what we've always said. But, uh, but so he felt it. Well, I'm glad to have him as a listener to my new podcast, Whispering with John Hodgman. <laughs> Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response, ASMR. If you're interested more in that phenomenon, look it up. If you'd like to hear what this podcast is all about, listen to me. Clear my throat. <laughs> in any case. Let's start clearing the docket. Yeah, no? Yes, let's please. I mean, it's the, the point is, I'm, I'm glad we got to talk about all of this because it's the doldrums of February and uh, and uh, I'm, I'm, uh, it's hard for me to get my energy up this time of year. And now now it's up. So let's go. Let's clear that docket. Quick. Here, here's something from Courtney. This dispute is with my husband of 14 years, Josh. Forget it. I lost it. Ugh. Our toaster oven is slowly failing. Oh, you got me back. It. <laughs> I want to hear about toaster ovens. I really like them. Okay, let's go. I want to simply get a new toaster oven, but Josh wants a four-slice toaster. I'm okay with having both, but I refuse to relinquish my toaster oven. Josh hates having lots of appliances on the counter, so he's not okay with replacing one item with two. Judge, I would like you to rule that we replace our old toaster oven with a similar model, and that if Josh wants a toaster, he has to accept that it will take up additional counter space. I have a feeling that Josh has wanted a four-slice toaster for a long time they've been married for 14 years and he sees that he's got finally got his shot to get this four slice toaster because he's been living with this toaster oven for a long time otherwise why would he make an issue of it now the thing about toaster ovens jesse is that they are um incorrectly named they should just be called little ovens (laughs) they're not they're not in my experience (laughs) 
<laughs> I think the the real problem is they can't get the copyright to that because uh, No Limit rapper Lil Evan uh, got that copyright in the early two thousands. I know. Well, like well. most of your most of your small appliance companies simply aren't sufficiently about it. About it. The reason that they should be called legally or not Lil Ovens is that they're they're pretty good countertop ovens, but not particularly good. Toasters, in my experience, Jesse, what do you what do you have in your in your home there in your kitchen? I have Judge Hodgman. I don't mean to buzz market or to brag, um, but I have a Breville toaster oven, a top of the line toaster oven. It's something that I acquired maybe six months ago. Yeah, uh, after the toaster that had been given to my wife and I as. Not even a, a pre-wedding gift, a housewarming gift uh, by a friend's mother yeah. uh, who is a hoarder. <laughs> um, uh, finally, uh, finally died on us. You know, it was a, you know, Target model mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have no gas in mm-hmm. our house mm-hmm. uh, because of where the gas line is located in various laws and regulations. Mm-hmm. And so we have an electric oven, which probably takes half an hour to preheat. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's totally maddening for cooking anything in. Mm-hmm. And so when our toaster died, I went on to one of my favorite websites, The Sweet Home. I know. Uh, I know. I know, Jesse. Keep going. I'm really into this. And I said- I'm getting such a tingling in my scalp just listening to you talk about this stuff. What toaster oven do they recommend if price is no object? Yeah. And here's the thing. For me in my life, price remains an object. Sure. Um, however, I have found that as a homeowner and dad, I get so much pleasure out of having the right thing, Mm -hmm. uh, that I have almost completely discarded price. Right. So I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about buying the one with the most features or buying the most expensive one. Uh, but now that, now that the internet will tell me exactly what the really good one is. Yes. Uh, I am so glad to pay. I, I mean, literally, this toaster oven maybe cost $300. But I was like, you know, uh, there's things in my life that I can give up to, to you know, cover that extra $200. Yes. Uh, and now I use this toaster oven all the time, like constantly. Yes. Because it is so much more, it is profoundly more convenient than using my oven oven. Right. And it's your more big, energy efficient. Your it's biggie smaller. oven. Yeah. And I, you know, the the fact of the matter is, how many cookies do I really want to make at once? Yes. The fact is <laughs> that I want to make one toaster oven's worth of cookies, and it actually fits a surprisingly large number of cookies in there. How many, how many, how many chocolate chip cookies you get out of a toaster oven? Nine. How do you, that's a, that's a great number. Yeah. Uh, it's really sizable. You yeah. can, you can roast a chicken in there. I've done it. So d- I know... I'm glad you went down this road, Jesse. Deeply, deeply gratified. As I said, my scalp's tingling. Because I yeah. know the oven of which you speak. Because I am also uh, a um, a visitor to the Sweet Home website. And it's uh, sister uh, sister brother website for technology gadgets and stuff, uh, Wirecutter. Yeah. And I hope that we will be getting some big, sweet stack of perfectly browned cash from either Breville, <laughs> Sweet Home, or both. But I, but even if we don't, I can't help myself because I find that those two websites are terrific for making those um, decisions. As, an, as a person who uh, is ambivalent by nature and has a hard time being decisive, do, there are certain decisions that would send me down a deep uh, spiral of procrastination, such as what kind of TV to buy. I bought the TV they told me to buy, too. Yeah, and I did, too. And I you did know that what? at it's, Christmas. It's great. Yeah, it's awesome. I got no complaints. <laughs> yeah. What kind? Like, I, But I'm the kind of guy who will be like, what, what kind of HDMI cable is the very, very best as an only child? You need to, I, I feel this obsession to be, to like, I can't just do the, the, a, a pretty good job. I have to do the best job, and therefore I need to get the best the best auxiliary cable to run the terrible compressed audio from my phone into the terrible speakers in my car. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know. That's the only way that you can ensure that you're avoiding all unnecessary conflict. And so these websites do, in my opinion, a great and and to date reliable job 
of doing all the testing and giving all the reasons. But if you just need to know the one to get, this is the one to get. And I was in a position myself, Courtney, not too long ago where my family had to decide between getting a, a toaster or a toaster oven. I've always been a toaster person because I like toast. I like toast a lot. And I've always found that toaster ovens uh, were uh, made very poor toast um, and, uh, and, and were basically a very versatile appliance for everything other than the toasting of toast. And that, that toast-specific toasters always did a better job. But I got to tell you, Jesse, my head was turned by this oven that was recommended by the Sweet Home, this Breville brand toaster oven. Now, did you get the big one or the smaller one? I think I got the larger one. The smaller one is not that much smaller than the big one. Right. If I remember correctly. So you got the large little oven, not the little little oven? Yeah, exactly. Right, okay. And you're satisfied is what you're saying. I'm not just satisfied. I'm absolutely delighted. Like every time I cook a steak at home, which I generally do on uh, the stovetop, yeah. uh, I can brown the steak on the stovetop. Yeah. I put a temperature probe in there and just stick it in my toaster oven, which is already heated easily, comfortably, and take it out when it goes boop, 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 indicating that it's medium rare. And uh, that just in and of itself would have been worth the money that I spent on this toaster oven. Well, I'm glad to hear that endorsement, but I have to ask you a question, Jesse. Do you ever ever make toast in it? No, I don't. I don't eat a lot of toast. You don't eat a lot of toast. Have you tried making toast in it? My wife makes toast in it for our children. I haven't heard any complaints. That said, they're four and two. Yeah. And I was about to say that they're not very discriminating, but in fact, they're profoundly discriminating in that they reject all foods other than toast. <laughs> if that's the primary part of their diet. <laughs> but within the subset toast, they are not very discriminating. Gotcha. Uh, that was the reason that I didn't end up buying that toaster oven because I felt we just needed something to make toast. And we already, we, in, in our case, had a perfectly uh, adequate oven that, and and, uh, and a perfectly adequate smaller second oven already. That, so we didn't really need this in our life. And then we ended up going to a church auction and getting an old Black & Decker toaster for 35 cents. And um, and it was terrible. So, sorry, Black & Decker. Wait, you bid 35 cents on it? It wasn't even increments of a dollar? <laughs> it, was, it, was, it, was, it was the buy, buy it right now price, I think. Yeah. Uh, and then um, and then we replaced it. And in, in my case, I ended up getting a Breville two-slice toaster because we like toast. Breville was a highly recommended brand for the toaster oven. And like Josh, uh, counter space is at a premium in our in our lives. And this took up a very small, had a very small footprint. And it's a terrific, terrific toaster. You know what my favorite feature of it is? What's that? There's... There's a button. First of all, you don't, there's no lever that you're pushing down, right? You put the toast in, you press a button and the toaster grabs it and then slowly lowers it like Han Solo into the carbonite freezing chamber, which is nice, which is hypnotic to watch. And then it doesn't shoot it out at you, but it slowly raises it. And if you're looking at it and you go, you know what? I need that to be a little bit more toasted. There's a button that says a bit more. You press that, wow. it takes it back down for a few seconds. It's truly it's truly a connoisseur's toasting device. And I find the toast to be come out of it to be superlative. So Breville, think of this podcast when when you're when you're considering your sponsorship plans for the new year. Have you watched our friend David Reese's episode of his hit television show, which is called Going Deep with David Reese, that is specifically about toast? Yes, I have. So there's two concerns for the benefit of our audience that come up in this. Uh, uh, they, are, they are temperature and time. And so if you, if you make toast at a higher temperature, uh, you get a drier outside with a moister inside. Whereas if you um, make it over a longer period of time at a lower temperature, you get a, uh, a more well-cooked through-and-through slice of toast. Uh, the benefit of uh, the former, which is crispy on the outside, chewy on the inside, is that it may be the best toasting, tasting toast immediately, and it's the classic American toast. Yeah. The latter, which is a more classic British or European toast, has the advantage of still tasting good later. 
because it uh, is is of consistent uh, and relatively dry texture. And not consistent across the flat surface, but through the toast itself, from the one edge, from the one flat side to the other flat side. It's more consistently toasted as opposed to having a chewy center. What's your preference, Judge Hodgman? Uh, I, d- I don't care for the European crispy all the way through toast. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to my mind, uh, that's a, basically a biscuit. It's basically a dry, right. a dry crumbly biscuit. Uh, to like my, a hard tack? Like a hard, like a hard tack, yeah. Without the maggots and weevils? And then, and, and then you don't have the protein. So what's the point of the hard tack? You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I mean, the, the, the truth is, are, are you a discriminating... Is Josh a discriminating toast eater? Or is Josh simply someone who cares incredibly about counter space and controlling his wife? And, <laughs> and we will never know. But uh, because I refuse to talk to Josh uh, and we're clearing the docket. Uh, so since the wife is okay with having a toaster and a toaster oven, She's the more flexible of the two. If Josh truly wants a toaster, believing that it will make superlative toast, then he should have such a thing. And if he's truly obsessed with counter space, then uh, he should take it into his room, uh, into the bathroom by himself and make toast on his own, alone. Yeah, whenever he takes a bath, he can make it. (laughs) Exactly right. Just toss it into the bath. And that's how you keep your toast moist, by the way. Make Mm -hmm. make it underwater while you're in the bathtub. So I don't want to deny Josh his perfect toast, but there is no reason that Courtney should have to go from a versatile multi-use appliance that takes a certain amount of space on the counter to a single-use appliance and get rid of all the functionality that the toaster, that the oven part of the toaster oven confers. Uh, That would be madness and tyranny, and I, I will not allow it. So either... Josh, you allow uh, your own special toaster on the counter or let Courtney replace her toaster oven with whatever toaster oven she thinks is best. I think it's clear uh, the ones that we think are best. I definitely would recommend that you get a Breville toaster oven and a Breville two or four slice toaster and that Breville give us money. That's I think that would be the best outcome for your family. Yeah, that's ideal. But, but if you have to choose one, I have to find in favor of Courtney. She gets what she wants because she set the precedent and she's flexible and you're not. And that's bad. Of course, our friends at Breville right now are enjoying their free milk and wondering why they should buy our cow. <laughs> oh, they're going to moxie us just like the moxies did. Here's something from David. My best friend Matt and I have enjoyed playing a popular collectible card game for many years. The traditional way to obtain the cards is to buy them in sealed packs or trade with others for individual cards. Mm -hmm. Matt has recently begun bolstering his collection by purchasing individual cards called singles through second-hand retailers, Mm -hmm. such as card shops. I can abide the occasional purchase of a few singles... But his purchases have now upset the balance of our respective decks and diminished our mutual enjoyment of the game. I naturally have fewer decks of lower quality since I've gone the traditional route to collect cards. Judge Hodgman, I ask you to specify how many singles purchases each of us are allowed in a given period of time and encourage my friend to construct new decks in the traditional way rather than an internet search of available cards. Now, Jesse, you used to be a card sharp. Yeah, I was an I was a I was a uh, I was a baseball card enthusiast, mm-hmm. and I dabbled in Magic: The Gathering in middle school, as well as Star Wars: The Collectible Card Game, and uh, Marvel Comics cards, which had hologram cards in them. That was what you wanted uh, in the Marvel Comics cards. But in the just at, now, I have to ask you in the, in the Marvel Comics cards, you're just talking about. Uh, pictures of your favorite uh, superheroes, your Colossus, your Deadpools, your... Yeah, although I did not care that much about the superheroes, to be honest. I liked Spider-Man pretty well. Sure. 
I had some comic books, don't get me wrong, right. but I was not an enthusiast of most of the superheroes. I just wanted to get those holograms. You loved, you loved holograms. I loved holograms. They gave, you, they, they gave you a tingling in your scalp to see them. They gave me an illusion of three-dimensionality. It was the promise of the future, that if this exists now, by the time I am an adult, I will be talking to the beautiful woman who will someday discover that I'm a great person and be my wife via a hologram. You know what? If they sold collectible cards that had an insert and the insert was Dippin' Dots ice cream, <laughs> I would have bought every pack they had. Well, I uh, I have to say, Jesse Thorne, that um, those are trading cards, right? That's what I mean to say about these marble cards. They were not part of a game. Right. But I did play Magic the Gathering, probably right. the most popular of these types of games. Yes. Um, uh, when it first hit... Uh, Bay Area nerd middle schools in 1992 or so. And for those who don't know or, or, or didn't listen to our recent uh, our recent case, w- which dealt a lot with playing Magic and similar competitive card games, there are some cards that are very powerful. Um, and then there are some cards that are just, uh, they're, they're garbage cards, right? They're weeds. They're rags. Yeah, well, there, there, are, um, there are cards that you need a lot of, which are common, uh, and they're not. They're not worth. They don't have a large monetary value because they're so common. You do need them to play, though. Right. And then there are special cards which come much more rarely in these random packs, and can sometimes be very powerful. And part of such the- as mm-hmm. I remember one called Sarah Angel. It's the only one that I remember, but I had two of them, I think, and that made me really hot stuff in the seventh grade, afraid of girls community. Sarah Angel. S e r r a. So, and what were the powers of the Sarah Angel magic card? What was nice about the Sarah Angel card was most cards, when you use them to attack, you had to turn them sideways, which was called tapping them. Mm -hmm. But the Sarah Angel, you did not have to tap. And, well, that's, I can see why you got so excited. Why was that important? I don't know. I don't remember. (laughs) And how did you get two Sarah Angels, Jesse? I purchased them as singles from the baseball card store uh, during the summer that I worked as an assistant to my stepmother's uh, ad hoc at-home preschool, and I was getting paid $2 an hour, and uh, with a couple of days' pay, I think they cost 15 or $20 each, uh, I bought those Sarah Angels. You bought two of became, them. became king of the game. You just you 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 rigged the game for yourself. I mean, this is what the the issue is, folks who don't know what we're talking about. There are two ways to get cards. You either buy them blindly in packs of fifteen or twenty or whatever it is, and then hope you get a good one in there because seeded throughout the run are some of the really high power cards like the Sarah Angel. Or you just skip that whole step. The the you skip the pleasure of the hunt, and instead go directly to your local card shop and basically buy a scalped Sarah Angel. That someone has found. Uh, they probably they probably got them in a car, off of a card hunting farm in China somewhere, like where they get you know where they where they get a, a, a thousand Chinese teenagers to just buy and open packs and get out the good ones and then they send them over. I don't know if that's how they would do it. That's how they that's how they mine for virtual gold and virtual role playing games. But that's another story. And it really you know there on the one hand it seems gross to essentially sidestep the the pleasure of the hunt and the social aspect of buying the cards, opening, seeing seeing which ones you get, maybe getting a sort of Charlie Bucket golden ticket card that makes you really excited, having that, finding it, you know, knowing that you only paid, you know, a few bucks for the pack, then being able to trade it for all your friends' cards and that sort of thing. But really what it comes down to was that was a trick to get kids to buy as many packs of cards as possible, right? And by the same token, skipping that process and just going directly to the scalper had kind of a a gross air to it because it was just the rich kids could get whatever they wanted. And all of a sudden, someone like you, Jesse Thorne, could rig the game um, and 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 ruin friendships is what happened here in in this particular uh, case between David and Matt. I don't know if their friendship is ruined, but it should be because because. Matt has gone off and buying these individual cards that warps the gameplay because suddenly, uh, you know, he, he's got an arsenal of Sarah Angels and David's got nothing. He's been left behind by his friend. 
I will say that the that the sort of gross capitalistic mercenary air of going to the card shop or now to the internet and just buying these things online is less gross when you consider it's equally as capitalistic as giving the money to the game creator to buy thousands of cards you don't need to get the one that you need but in this case not only is the game creator getting whatever money they're getting but also you're supporting your your local card shop and small entrepreneurs so all capitalism is disgusting i don't i don't take the moral stand uh that one is necessarily better than the other you're at the end of the day it's either the comic book store guy a weirdo on the internet or the card shop that is taking money from children but unless david and matt are middle schoolers themselves um, then I think that Matt is doing a wrong thing here. This is a friendly game between adult or young adult friends. And this is not the the mercenary, all or nothing, backstabbing world of the recess playground. This is presumably two guys who like to get together and maintain and grow their friendship through a few games of collectible fantasy cards. And I think for Matt to uh, beef up his arsenal in this way and throw the game out of whack um, is essentially leaving his his friend behind. And I think it's kind of an uncool thing to do. And I would say that I think David's suggestion is quite right, that there should be a limit to how many singles purchases each are allowed in a given period of time. So I would say, what do you think is a reasonable number of singles to purchase in a month, let's say, Jesse? Well, I have a concern here, Judge Hodgman. What is it? I think your reasoning is sound. However, there's a blind spot here. It's one that I can speak to. You mean blind spot? The the hit television show on NBC starring Jamie Alexander and featuring John Hodgman in a two-episode arc that by the time of this airing has probably concluded? Yeah. Oh, no, it doesn't. It hasn't concluded. It doesn't start till the end of this month. Check out Blind Spot on NBC. I think it's February 29th. No, what I refer to is, you know, one of the central facts of my own personal mythology is that I went to a rich kid's school in middle school. Mm -hmm. So while I was, uh, while I was, uh, uh, well, my parents were divorced and each in their own economically tenuous places in their lives, and I was living in inner city San Francisco. Mm-hmm. I was attending school on the peninsula of, San, of the San Francisco Bay Area mm-hmm. with uh, legit rich kids. Mm-hmm. And the flaw in this limitation system is this. Sure, you can prevent this guy from going onto eBay and buying himself four Sarah Angels. Certainly so. But you can't prevent this guy from buying a wax box... Of these cards, which is to say the display box that typically holds 36 packs of cards mm-hmm. and opening box, o- opening, uh, opening packs until he gets four Sarah Angels. Mm-hmm. These are adult men with relative to the cost of collectible trading cards, mm-hmm. almost unlimited budgets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're not getting paid $2 an hour as I was at the time. Uh-huh. <laughs> And so, as an unlicensed child, child, child care worker. <laughs> so, I think my worry here is that even if we limit them to something reasonable, I think even one a month would be perfectly reasonable. What could happen is this guy could become resentful and he could decide to plow his singles money into buying packs. And he could just start buying boxes on eBay. So, let's premise this that they are, that they are adults with incomes. You're saying... What? That they should, that there's nothing, there's no way to prevent this guy from doing whatever he wants? Realistically? I think. That if, that if think we, th- that if we, if we limit, this is like campaign finance reform. That if we limit, limit this way of, of influencing the game with money, he'll just find another way. He'll create, to, to create, to create a super pack as it were. Yeah. Here's what, here's what, here's the only, uh, the only thing that I can think of. Yeah. Between the two of them, they have two types of games. One type of game is anything goes. So that's where they can buy as many of whatever the 2016 version of Sarah Angel is as they want. They can spend all their money decking out 
their mana and their attack point guys. Right. Again, my memories of this game are relatively hazy. Yeah. Then they also have a continuing game or set of games uh, where they play with some specific strictures, which is to say they have to make their decks from each of them buys one box of cards or each of them is allowed to spend $20 a month on the on that deck. Uh, uh, and they agree to that. They stipulate to the same limits feel like for, I'm, feel for like each I'm of them. Listening to Bernie Sanders here, you've totally <laughs> turned me. You've totally solution. turned me around on this because I feel like there is no way to enact realistic campaign finance reform because the people who want to game the system, or in this case, system the game, are all and they have the money to do it. They're always going to find a way. They're always going to find a way to funnel the money. To, to, to support the candidates they want or to get the cards that they want. And, and maybe they'll just funnel the money to lawyers such that it all, goes all the way to the Supreme Court and it's Card Players United versus the United States. And suddenly it becomes an issue of buying cards being a, 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 an expression of free speech. This guy, if he wants to buy, if he wants to buy I, think, I think ultimately there's, there's nothing to it but to appreciate that this is all that this game that, that binds these friendships is also ultimately a capitalistic enterprise behind it. There should be a free market of cards. We should let the cards fall where they may, as it were. If Matt wants to go out there and buy whatever cards he's going to buy, that is right. And as Ayn Rand would say, the, 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 the market will correct itself because maybe David won't want to play with him anymore and say, I'm out of here because you're just, you're making it not fun. And then Matt will be alone with his 3000 Sarah angel cards and no one to play with. And that's an appropriate punishment by the market. Now, what I would say now that I take, I take everything I said back. Here's my ruling. David, you're wrong. There's no way to force Matt to play the way you want to play. And if he's playing in a way that you don't want to play anymore, maybe you shouldn't be friends anymore. And that's punishment for Matt. But before that happens, just for fun, just to show that this game isn't just ruled by the rich kids, there's another way. You can try, you can, you can, you can, Bernie Sanders, your campaign against Matt and his Koch brother cronies by uh, crowdsourcing, by grassrooting this thing. Start a Patreon. Start a Patreon saying, my friend unfairly buys a bunch of powerful cards in this game that I'm playing. I'm going to raise whatever you need to raise, let's say $5,000 to, to, to blow him out of the water and teach him how to play right. And here are my reasons why. If you start that Patreon, uh, I, we will, I, will, I will personally plug that on all of my social medias and I will contribute to it because I want, I want to take this guy down now. I want to show him. I want to show Matt this creep this Koch brothers creep that he can't buy the game. There's still people out there who will rise up and, 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 and donate to a worthy cause like David. And, uh, and, and, uh, and, and, and I want you to destroy him, David. He can have my Sarah angels. They're probably in my dad's basement somewhere. If it's a magic, the gathering thing, you can also, part of your appeal can be, send me your cards, everybody. (sighs) Good. And then, and then we'll see what happens in the general election when it's Bernie Sanders versus the Koch brothers. We'll decide more red hot cases when we come back in just a second on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. You're listening to Judge John Hodgman. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. Of course, the Judge John Hodgman podcast always brought to you by you the members of MaximumFun.org. Thanks to everybody who's gone to MaximumFun.org slash join. And you can join them by going to MaximumFun.org slash join. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Aura. A-U-R-A. It's a simple but meaningful gift that you can give your mom or your dad or your step-grandparent or your uncle or your friend or anyone that you want to keep connected in your life who might not live near you, it's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things that those friends can't be there for, from family vacations to grandkids' graduation to whatever. I have one of these, and I got one for my dad, and I got one for my mother-in-law, and it's amazing. 
we look at the photos all day long and we're able to easily update their Aura frames so they see all the latest pictures from our lives as well. It comes with unlimited storage, simple controls on the frame. You can upload as many photos as you want and your mom or your dad or your stepdad or your stepmom or your friend or whatever can pick the perfect one. And it takes only about two minutes to set up, seriously. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, uh, The Strategist, and Wired Magazine. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code Hodgman. That's A-U-R-A frames.com, promo code Hodgman. Terms and conditions apply. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Babbel. Okay, it's 2020, 2024, 2020, Oh, if hindsight were 2020, I, I don't know what I would have done differently. All I know is that I'm taking every day in this year and trying to get better a little bit every day. That's what you do. That's the way progress is made, step-by-step, day-by-day, bird-by-bird. And that's the way it is when you're learning anything, especially a new language with Babbel. And if Babbel can help you start speaking language in just three weeks, Imagine what you could do in the rest of this whole year. Don't pay hundreds of dollars to private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts, real human beings, to help you start speaking a new language in as little as one, two, three weeks. Studies from Michigan State University, Yale University, and others continue to prove that Babbel is better. And that's not just the Yale football team putting their thumb on the scale because they love learning Indonesian from Babbel. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Take that, Yale, I guess. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but this is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash Hodgman. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Welcome back to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. We're in chambers clearing the docket. Here's something from Patrick. I have a dispute with my fiance, Rebecca. We're moving in together soon, and we're both interested in getting two dogs, a German Shepherd and a Corgi, and a cat. I would like to get both dogs and the cat at the same time so that they'll be able to grow up with each other and get along. Rebecca says it will be too much work to raise two puppies and a kitten all at once, and she would like to space them out by a year or so. When we get our first pet, she will be busy studying to take a nursing exam. I will be working full-time. Judge Hodgman, should we follow my timeline or Rebecca's? Don't get two dogs and a cat, you weirds. All at, all at the same time? <laughs> Jeez Louise. But why are is you... This just, is this Look. just a plot summary of the movie We Bought a Farm? <laughs> we Bought a Zoo. Yeah, there you go. We bought a farm as the uh, the 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 sequel that's coming out soon. <laughs> <laughs> 
Why are you trying to create a domestic menagerie? Well, look, no, I know exactly why you're trying to create it because you got a German Shepherd, a Corgi, and a cat. You want to put all. You want to make a pile. You want to put that Corgi on top of that German Shepherd. <laughs> you want to put that cat on top of that Corgi, and you want them to walk around the house, and you want to film it, and you want them to become world famous Insta- Instagram pets, like those pets, like those Corgis. So I went to a party at SF Sketchfest. Were you there at that night after? No, I don't think no, you had arrived I, I was in, asleep, in San Francisco. Yeah. There was a part. There was a party uh, afterward at at a at a private home. Um, uh, it was an official party, but it was at a private home, and there are these corgis around, and uh, and I and I said to, I said to someone who whose corgis are they, and they're like we don't know, and I'm like what do you mean? It's like well we don't know who the owners. I mean the owners are here, but we don't know them. My friend is a big fan of those corgis on Instagram, and so he invited the corgis to the party as celebrities. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I, I'm still speechless. I'm still speechless. That these cor and I, and I looked into it. These corgis, Chompers and Linus. What? They're I think father and son. Chompers is much more popular than Linus for obvious reasons. <laughs> Have huge followings, and I'm very proud to say they now follow both. They, both of them follow me. On Instagram, John Hodgman, by the way, is my Instagram account, J-O-H-N-H-O-D-G-M-A-N. So, yeah, if you're trying to create a new a new media celebrity bonanza by by tying these animals together in a in a cute pyramid for your Instagram or vines or your social needs of some kind, I, I'm 100 percent behind it. I'm also 100 percent behind it because there's something very specific. There's something very specific about. German Shepherd, Corgi, and then Cat, obviously you don't care about. Now, you know that the show recommends against getting pure breeds um, because there are so many great uh, rescue animals that are ready for adoption and need good homes and would be terrific good homes. And also, well, have already been raised through puppyhood. But since you are insisting going down a specific breed path to begin with, this is just like uh, that dude with his toaster. It might be just something you have to have in your life. And if it's something that you have to have in your life, then you have to you have to have the whole thing. You have to just go and do it, because your fiance is studying for a nursing exam. You work full time. The, the best thing for you guys to have is not, is well maybe a snake or nothing. <laughs> <laughs> the snake just because you could you could wear that walking down the street and make friends. Totally, yeah. That's it's the it's the social entree of all social entrees. Well, the last thing you need in your life are are two hairy perpetual infants which is what dogs are one of one of which has very short legs and then a a creature that hates you and forces you to keep a box of its poop in your house but you don't need that in your life but if you but if you need it on some deep 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 brain level it's not going to get easier having one at a time at a time you're just spreading out the 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 pain and trouble of, of raising small animals and I think it will be much easier if they know each other from birth or relative close to birth, because then they will be friends and then they'll ride around on top of each other and you guys will be gazillionaires and you won't have to work anymore. Do you think these people even know what it means to have three? This is my word. No, they it. don't. How do all these pets end up in shelters? It's because people think that they should get three people with no pets think they should have three pets all at once when they have full time jobs and nursing exams. They have no idea what they're getting into. And that's why I want to punish them by giving them what they want. (laughs) But you're punishing the poor animals. I hadn't thought about that. No, they'll be fine. Corgis are resilient. (laughs) (laughs) Corgis. At least I feel fine about the corgi because I know the corgi's always got a fallback career by just going on, going on social media. <laughs> the point, what I'm saying though, Jesse, is they're gonna do it. They're gonna do it anyway, so they got to do it all at once. I'm worried about these people. Yeah, well, you think you think that they're you think that the corgi and the and the German shepherd and the cat are going to team up against them. I just and think take them not, down as like a reverse incredible journey. They don't know if they can even deal with having a pet. These people haven't even moved in together yet. Right. This is all part of their weird marriage fantasy. Yeah. But that happens all the time. 
Yeah, but but that's how pets like one of my dogs was a family surrender because the family couldn't deal with her. And she's a really sweet dog. It wasn't because she was a bad dog. Right. It was because these people weren't prepared to actually have the pet that they that they adopted. And I'm worried that these yahoos with their complicated scheme. Their very specific involve, scheme. Yeah, their hyper specific scheme. They're just gonna. They're just gonna cause trouble for themselves. Well, they, I think, but think of it this way: for for the precise same, the precise same fantasy reasons, they they might instead have a child, and you know, and they may be terrible yeah, parents. And then what are they gonna do with all their parent with all their pets? Well, same, well, that's what I'm saying. Like most most young couples get pets in order to rehearse what it's like to have a child, and then they realize that they can keep a thing without killing it. And that thing loves them and they love the sense of perpetual adoration. So they immediately then have a child and then ignore the dog or cat for the rest of its natural life. You can't I'm stop worried. evil. I don't the trust world, these Jesse. people. You can't the, stop I, all evil in the world. I don't trust these people past the end of my nose. So you're saying that I should say, get, get a, a cat or a dog, get one of these animals first. And that yeah. way they'll learn their lesson and realize, oh, this is already too much. I'm not going to get the other two. Yeah. And then, and, and then you'll save, you'll, it'll mitigate the harm. Yeah. And, or, the, but that's not, or, that's not as mean to them as I would like to be, Jesse, but you're right. You're right. Make them get one of those robot, get three of those robot dogs that Honda makes. <laughs> <laughs> and then the poor animals aren't getting punished. You know, here's what you, here's what you do. Here's what you they do. don't need to all grow up together. If you are, as the show recommends, if if you're getting rescue pups, there's no there's no rescue pup situation or cat situation that doesn't involve a trial period. If they come into your house and they don't get along, uh, then you send them back where they came from. All right. You know what, Bailiff Jesse, you've changed my mind on two of these so far. Maybe this should be the Judge Jesse Thorne show. No, I, I, I wouldn't so. mind some bailiffing, but yeah, I think you're right. The cat is the only thing where they didn't specify a breed because they don't, like most people, they don't, they don't give a feces about the cats. So go and rescue a cat, an adorable cat from some cat cafe or a rescue organization. Then, and start with that because that is the one that requires the least amount of attention, care, and walking. Enjoy that cat for a period of time until you uh, get through your nursing exam and you and you get married and you settle into a life and then revisit in a year and decide, do we want to open this up to one or more dogs at this point? I do recommend that you not care so much about the breed of the dog and, and maybe go to a rescue place because, as Jesse says, the rescue place will uh, will vet you and the situation and will offer to take the animal back if the cat doesn't get along and the with the new dog and the real benefit of this of course is that you know after the, you know the worst case scenario is that you just make a cat mad which is the most fun thing in the world to do so <laughs> all right that's that's reasonable that's my judgment let's move on hi john big fan of yours in korea all right north or south unspecified I listened to one of your recent episodes in which a plaintiff tried to prohibit his wife from brushing her teeth in the shower. I think you were initially more sympathetic to him, but ultimately ruled that his concern was not well-founded. In Korea, we have something called jimjilbangs, basically saunas combined with many washing stations where people sit, clean themselves, and brush their teeth. In so doing, there could be some germs jumping onto toothbrushes. However... I think that considering we use our hands to wash both our faces and our butts, toothbrush, toothbrush use in uh, gym jilbongs is probably no dirtier than washing arrangements in our bathrooms. That's, I've never heard of a gym jilbong. I usually bathe in a bibimbap. But... <laughs> I, uh, I, I would be curious to inspect one of these communal bathing situations with my, with my own eyes, Todd. So next time in, I'm in South Korea, which will be the first time, please uh, let me know which Jim Jilbong you like, and I will check it out but, and, and see the famous jumping germs of South Korea. I don't think that's how germs get around. Have you ever visited a Korean spa? No. In New York, in New York City, there is Spa Castle, um, which is a famous multi 
level multi-world theme park of spas with many different kinds of waters that you can bathe in and many different. And in fact, I think it was featured or uh, it was inspired something that was featured on uh, one of the episodes of Bored to Death that I was not in, one of the many episodes of Bored to Death that I was not in. But I've never been, I would like to go. I would like to go now that I've become more comfortable with communal bathing of all kinds, um, since I am uh, a grown man that no one is interested in and has grown comfortable in, in, my, in my gross nudeness. Uh, I would love to uh, visit it. You know, next time you're here in Los Angeles, uh, we are literally down the block from perhaps the most famous such institution uh, in the city of Los Angeles and one of the most famous outside of Korea, the Wee Spa. Is podcasting allowed from inside the spa? <laughs> That's an interesting question. <laughs> While they brutalize you with loofahs, are you allowed to have a microphone to your mouth? I'm not sure. Like I would, I would like to imagine, you know, one of those face down massage tables that has a little donut around the sides of your face. Yeah. But you're holding a microphone up into the middle of the donut so you can talk. That would be uncomfortable to reach around the, the the massage table to hold the microphone. Maybe we could get some tripods or something. Yeah, or a microphone stand, maybe. Yeah. I think we could do it. All right. Well, let's do that. In the meantime, uh, David, remember to start your your social media grassroots buy me super dupe collectible card campaign so that i can plug it and also everybody remember to watch nbc's hit show blind spot created by martin garrow starring jamie alexander and many other fine actors on nbc february 29th and in addition to those fine actors maybe you'll see me maybe if you have a case for judge john hodgman go to maximumfun.org slash jjho that's MaximumFun.org slash JJHo to share your case with us, big or small. We consider them all. Our producer is Julia Smith. Our editor is Mark McConville. Hey, coming up soon, the Max Fun Drive. Get ready for it. We're going to be asking for your support to help make this show possible at MaximumFun.org slash donate. But there will also be tons of cool prizes uh, that you will get in exchange for doing so. So keep your eyes on the horizon for that. And uh, thanks for listening to the Judge John Hodge Jesse, podcast. Jesse, you know what my role on on Blind Spot is? What is it? I'm just a guy carrying around a Breville toaster oven the whole time. <laughs> a toaster oven conveyor? I'm like the log lady, but I'm a, carrying around a toaster oven. <laughs> and a very specific brand to boot. See you next time on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. <laughs> MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.